0: When Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, also known as Levi, to be one of his disciples, Matthew rejoiced and put together a party, called together his friends who were tax collectors and had a feast, and asked Jesus to come and meet his friends. The Pharisees at that time attacked this feast from first one angle and then another. In Luke chapter 5, Verse 29, it says, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors, and others were climbing at the tables with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responded to that. And then it seems, according to the text in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14, they even got John's disciples in on it. And they asked in Luke 9 and verse 33, They said to Him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. He said, Why don't you and your disciples fast? Jesus responded with three stories. And I think His response is rather clear and rather pointed, and it provides a rebuke. A gentle one for John's disciples, a crushing one for the Pharisees. And yet, because it's in the form of parable, I fear that sometimes we miss exactly what Jesus is saying here. I'd like for us to take a look at Jesus' response to this question. Why don't your disciples fast? And as we learn from this, I believe we're going to learn some things about worshiping God. I know that these stories that are used here in this text, beginning in verse 34, are often used today, and folks talk about them, they use them to talk about the old covenant versus the new covenant. Or the old man versus the new man. But to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure where that exegesis comes from, because I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Instead, Jesus is addressing the concept of devotion. And He's looking at the concept of worship. As he talks about how his disciples were devoted to him, and he demonstrates where the Pharisees were not devoted to God. Examine this with me tonight. Before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you because you are awesome and powerful beyond our wildest imagination. We cannot even fathom how great you are. And we're thankful that you have allowed us to gather here to study your word, to praise and honor and glorify you, and to edify one another and to be edified. We pray that everything we've done has been decent and orderly. We pray that everything we've done has been edifying for all who are here. And Father, we pray that everything we've done has glorified you. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name. Give glory forever and ever. We are in awe. And we pray that you would help us, that we worship you truly from the heart. And not out of ritualism or traditionalism, but simply providing what is appropriate and natural. in our honor and praise to you, what you deserve. Father, we love You, and we thank You for loving us. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. When we take a look at the very first set of stories in Luke chapter 5 and verse 33, Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in those days. Some of the texts, instead of saying wedding guests, talk about being friends of the bridegroom. And basically what he points out is that to fast would be ritualism and not true worship. The point being is that fasting at this point would be as inappropriate for his disciples as it would be for the friends of the bridegroom as they were attending the wedding feast to fast. How inappropriate would it be for us to be guests at a wedding, a time of joy and rejoicing, to sit there and say, you know what, I am fasting today. I'm not going to participate in your celebration over your wedding. That would just be inappropriate. And Jesus is saying that while He is with them, He is like that bridegroom. And that it would be inappropriate for the friends of the bridegroom as they had joy and rejoicing being in the presence of Jesus. That would just be inappropriate. It wouldn't be natural. It wouldn't be the response to God. Now, Jesus didn't say that they would never fast. Jesus didn't condemn fasting for His disciples. Jesus didn't say fasting would be useless. He just said that at this point in time, fasting would be inappropriate. There's going to come a time when fasting will be a part of what they do. But right now, it would be inappropriate for them. It would really be merely ritualism. Traditionalism. Just going through the motions. Not responding to God out of devotion for who and what God is and what He's doing for us at this time. As you take a look and get a little bit beyond just the concept of propriety here, we actually see, I think, a gentle admonishing of John's disciples and a harsh rebuke of the disciples of the Pharisees. Think about it. If Jesus says about His disciples that they don't fast because they're friends of the bridegroom, what is He saying about the Pharisees and John's disciples? If they're fasting, then they're not friends of the bridegroom. They're not guests at the wedding feast. Think about what that must have said to John's disciples. If you look in John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, verse 29, John was telling folks, I'm not the Christ. He told his disciples that. And in verse 29 it says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And so what was he doing? He was rejoicing. If John was a friend of the bridegroom and he said, Jesus is the bridegroom, then wouldn't it be natural that his disciples ought to have also been friends of the bridegroom? If John rejoiced at the bridegroom's presence, how much more should the disciples of John have rejoiced in the presence of Jesus? And how much more should they have had the same mindset as Jesus' disciples? It's not appropriate to fast right now. This is a time of joy. But you see, they were having a hard time letting go of John. They were just following in the ways that he had taught without following in that final statement where he told them to go on to Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us a whole lot about that transition period from the old law to the new law through John the Baptist and all that was happening there. And the Bible doesn't tell us how Jesus or how God dealt with the disciples of John who did not quickly become disciples of Jesus. Like those in John 1, uh, who, when when John said, hey, there's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, they immediately started following him, one of whom was uh, was Andrew. He said, we don't know what God did with those, but we do know that they should have recognized the bridegroom, because John the Baptist had told them. And now the Pharisees, I think we see a scathing rebuke of the Pharisees. You see, they fasted. Oh, they fasted a lot. In Luke chapter 18, and verse 12, we see the story of the Pharisee. In Luke 18 and verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week. But he didn't fast out of devotion to God. In fact, according to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, we learn about the Pharisees fasting. In Matthew 6 and verse 16, Jesus said, and when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, the Pharisees were hypocrites. They fasted not in order to be devoted to God, but in order to be seen by men. It was mere Ritual. Something done by rote. Something merely to say, look at me. And you get to the heart of the problem. You see, Jesus' disciples weren't looking at me, they were looking at Jesus. And they understood that right now is not a time to fast. But the Pharisees were bound up in their ritualism and their traditionalism. Hey, <laughs> it's Tuesday, we've got to fast. It was hypocritical. What about our worship? When we do what we do to worship God, what's it based on? Is it mere ritualism? Have we learned so often that we've got these five acts of worship that we're ready to punch our card and check off the list? Get through it, get it done, get home? What about what we do at home as worship? Do we even do anything at home to worship? Is it about devotion to God? Or is it just ritual? Well, I know I've got to pray today, so I better do it. I know I've got to read my Bible today, so I better do it. I was actually listening to a CD on the way over here, that not about Bible study per se, but just about education and about reading. I made the comment about reading great books, and he said, you know, you've got to remember the point about reading great books is not to get through the great book, but to rather get the great book through you. That's really something about the Bible. How easy it is for us to get on a reading plan. And we're going to read through the Bible in the year. And so, I've got to get my three chapters in today. And It's all about just getting it done. Instead of about getting it in here. Why are we doing what we do? Is it from the heart? The natural response to how amazing God is? How unworthy we are? Or is it just rote, ritualism, traditionalism? Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul said, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. It's obedience to God, not because it's the exact thing that He commanded, but because we're doing it from the heart, as He commanded. Why didn't the disciples fast? Because it would be it was just At this point in time, for them, it would have just been ritualism, going through the motions. It wouldn't really have been about devotion to God based on what God was doing for them at the time. But then Jesus continued, and He provided two other stories. In verse 36... He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. What he points out here is that ritualism destroys not only the act of worship, but it destroys the worshiper. I don't believe we could remotely accuse the disciples of John of insincerity or hypocrisy. At most, we could point out that they didn't follow their teacher's final teaching. And that was that they were supposed to leave him and go to Jesus. So I don't believe this rebuke could be as pointed at the disciples of John as it would be at the Pharisees. But as he pointed out to the Pharisees that fasting in the presence of the bridegroom would be inappropriate, he then provides some stories that lets us know that not only would it be inappropriate, it would be destructive. Merely going through the motions, merely being involved in ritualism, action by rote instead of obedience and worship from the heart, not only makes the worship itself vain, but it destroys the one who does it. And he tells two stories. And here are the stories. He said, you're not going to take a new piece of cloth to patch up a hole in an old piece of cloth. Why? Well, because when I wash that and I stick it in water and it dries out, the new piece of cloth is going to shrink. And when that new piece of cloth shrinks, it's going to tear the old piece of cloth even worse. It's going to cause a bigger hole, a bigger problem. The second story that he used was that of wine in new wineskins. Nobody is going to put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Why? Well, because when you put new wine into old wineskins, no matter how tightly you seal it, no matter how airtight you make it, there is already activated yeast inside that wineskin. From the old wine that was there, as it was being drunk and poured out, the yeast had become active inside that wineskin, and so no matter how airtight they make it, it's going to start fermenting in there. And it's going to stretch, and it's going to stretch, and it's going to stretch, until finally it's going to explode. The wine is lost. The wine skin is destroyed. And Jesus said, well, that's what would be happening if my disciples started fasting right now. They would just be going through the motions because right now is a time of joy for them. It's not a time of asceticism. It's not a time of self-denial. It's a time of joy and rejoicing because they're with the bridegroom. And if they decided to try to take that ritual... And just, well, we've got to go through the motions. We've got to do this. It's Tuesday and that's the fast day and so we've got to do that. It would be pointless. It would be useless. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 and 9. Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 and 9. The people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's very similar to that. If I am just marking it off the checklist, oh, you know, I'm supposed to fast, it's not doing any good. If I am not worshiping as the natural response to how great God is and what He has done for me, it's useless. And that's what they would have been doing at this point. Because it was so inappropriate. The worship would have been vain. And the disciples' souls would have been condemned. The wine lost and the wineskin destroyed. The unshrunk cloth shrunken and the old garment destroyed. That's the picture here. In Second Timothy chapter three, Second Timothy chapter three and verse five, Paul provides another picture of this same concept. Second Timothy chapter three and verse five says, "Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. that's what this kind of worship is like. It has the appearance of godliness. They're fasting. What could be, what could be more godly than that? They're fasting. And yet it really denied the power of godliness. Because they would have just been doing it from ritualism. Traditionalism. It wouldn't have been springing forth from the well of their heart. It would have been useless. But notice what kind of people it says worships like this. In Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, "...understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty." For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Isn't it amazing that people like that can have the appearance of godliness? All they have to do is have a few rituals that they go through. I'm going to go to church every week. Make sure to read my Bible every day. Make sure to pray every day. They, They have their rituals and they look godly. And yet look at their lives. You see, all those things are not coming from their heart. And so what about us? What about our worship? Where does it come from? Does it come from our hearts? Why are we here? Is it because it's Sunday night and that's what we have to do? Or are we here because we want to be with brethren to worship God because God is good? And God has done great things for us. And this is the appropriate response. Why do we pray to God at home? Do we pray to God at home? Why do we sing? Study the Word. Is it because it's the appropriate response to the great God? If not, it's like new wine and old wineskins. It's vain and useless and it's not helping us any. In fact, it's destroying us. But then Jesus told another story. A very brief one. He said, and no one after drinking the old wine desires the new, for he says, the old is good. I think this is a warning for us. He says, take care not to simply worship by taste. You see, here's the picture. The point that he's making is that somebody has become accustomed to the old wine. It has a certain kind of taste, an age, a flavor to it. And when you bring to them the new wine, well, it's going to have a different taste. And they'd rather have the other. And so that's kind of the way folks deal with this issue of devotion and worship. He really paints a picture of why the disciples of John and the Pharisees were having such a hard time dealing with him. Because they had their taste set on something else. And Jesus was different from what they were used to. Think about the disciples of John. John came in and it was very... uh, A lot of asceticism. Self-denial is all about, you know, we're not going to do any of these things. I'm going to go out and live in the wilderness on locusts and wild honey. But it says that Jesus came eating and drinking. In Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 18... For John came, either eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. You see, Jesus was different from John. And so these disciples were struggling. Why aren't your disciples fasting? That's what we do. And it kind of threw them off this concept that, Hey, the bridegroom is here. It's time to rejoice now. It's not time to fast and deny ourselves. It's time to rejoice with the bridegroom. See, their their taste weren't adjusted to that. And the Pharisees, of course, they had a really hard time. Their worship was all about ritualism. It wasn't about being devoted to God. It wasn't about responding to God from the heart. It was basically, was carnal. It was carnal in nature. It was all about me. It was about serving me. Anything that I did, it wasn't about being devoted to God, but about letting everybody else see me so that they would glorify me. And yet Jesus came along saying that that's just not worship. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 points out the problem here. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Pharisees so focused on natural things and carnal things, when the spiritual came along, they didn't get it. (coughs) Excuse me. They couldn't make sense of it. It didn't taste right. It's kind of uncomfortable. We'd rather just go back to the old. But you know, if you think about it, this is not only a warning for those who have become accustomed to something that's not what God has authorized. But it's also a great comfort for those who have become accustomed. When your tastes have been governed and educated and developed based upon what God wants, then doing it some other way doesn't taste quite right. It doesn't sit well. Red flags start going up. And so you see, there's There's a negative side of this, that if you've been developed and brought up and educated in something wrong, it's going to be tough to come to what's right. But if you've been developed and educated and brought up in what's right, it's going to be tough to be taken away from it. But we have to be careful that we're not just worshipping according to taste. Because there have been congregations that have been completely dismantled by those who came along and feeling that they had found a new and better way. And yet all they were pushing was their personal taste. And we just have to be careful with that, that we're not doing the same thing ourselves. Jesus said avoid ritualism. Worship God from the heart. Because if you don't, that's going to destroy you and make your worship vain. And make sure that your worship is about serving God and not just following what tastes right to you. So the question for us is, how do we worship? Why do we worship? Why are we here? Only you can answer that question. You know, in a real sense, no matter why you're here, I'm glad you're here. Certainly better for you to be here than not be here. But if we're here with false pretenses or wrong motives, now let's take the next step and move our worship up to that level of worship from the heart. The natural response to God and His greatness and what He's done for us. Anything else will only destroy us.